My friends, you may be seated. We've just sung of God's amazing grace and how he has set us free from our chains of bondage and sin and that he is forever ours. Let us now go to prayer to him in light of that. Father, we bless you and we praise you, Lord, for the fact that we are forever yours. Father, you've told us in your word that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. God, not even rulers, not even authorities, not even principalities, demons, anything in all this world, Lord, you have told us that nothing will separate us from your love, even our very selves. And Lord, you showed us that nothing would separate us from you by sending your son, Jesus, to be the payment of our sin, the payment of the chains that we were due. And Lord, through Jesus Christ, through his death, and ultimately through his triumphal resurrection, we now are set free. We are set free to love you we're set free to love one another. So, Father, we pray that for ourselves at South Canyon Baptist Church, that that would be the tenor of this church, one that is freed by the blood of Jesus Christ, but also one, Lord, that is free to love each other and to love our community. So, Father, we pray that you would do that, that you would work in us a great affection for one another. Lord, we're so thankful for this series that we're beginning this morning, and we just pray that you would bear fruit in that. And ultimately, Lord, the fruit that we desire that you would bear is salvation. That people would come to know who you are through the preaching of your word. And not just through the preaching of your word that people would come to be saved. We pray that we would have a great affection. That we would look at your word and know how best to love one another. Father, please cause this within South Canyon Baptist Church. And Father, as we think about our church, we think about other churches. And we pray for them from time to time here in this Uh, region and in this area and throughout the nation. And so, Father, we pray this morning for the Black Hills Area Baptist Association. Father, we pray for them because we are united to them by denominational affiliation. Father, we're thankful that we get to team up with the 20 or so Baptist churches here within the Black Hills region. And Father, we pray that you would cause and bear fruit in those churches. Father, we are particularly praying that you would bear fruit in the associational meeting that's coming up this Saturday. Father, we pray that Uh, the pastors that are gathered there, the officers that are gathered there, that, Lord, you would cause in us great unity and a great yearning to make your name known here within the Black Hills region. Father, we pray that you would use every single church, that they would be able to proclaim your gospel, that they would proclaim your truth that is set forth in your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would bear fruit in each of those churches. And Father, we specifically pray for Redeeming Grace Church, our sister church, our daughter church, just down the road at the Journey Museum. Father, we're so thankful that you gave us the ability to plant that church. And so, Father, we pray for that church. We pray that you would bear fruit. Father, we pray for Pastor Josh Brown of that church and pray that you would cause him to preach your word boldly and accurately and that the gospel would be proclaimed. And that this morning, probably as he's preaching the word right now, that you would bear fruit in salvation. If anybody does not know who you are, that this morning, Josh would be able to preach what is true and what is right from your word. God, we are so thankful for them and pray that we would have many, many years of co-laboring in the gospel until you return. Father, as we think about different things outside of our region and think about our nation and the world as a whole, God, we're reminded as of yesterday, 20 years ago, the attacks that happened on September 11th, 2001. Father, many of us 
are grieved still by those attacks and feel the soaring loss and pain of what that day brings. But Father, we know that ultimately there is hope. There is hope beyond the chaos. There's hope beyond the evil. There's hope beyond the death of those days. And so, Father, I pray that as this nation is reminded and mourns for those events 20 years ago, that they would place their hope squarely in Jesus Christ, that they would know where their one true hope in this life and in the next can be. And, Father, I pray that churches all across this nation would proclaim that, especially as we remember and ponder on those events. Father, we pray for first responders in light of that. We're thankful, Lord, that there were so many that responded that day and so many felt the call and the burden to do that now. Father, we pray for the first responders in our church. We pray for the firefighters, the EMTs, and all those that work within that field. We pray that you would bless them, that you would keep them safe. Lord, we are so thankful that when chaos happens, that there are those that have felt called to run toward it and to help those who need it. Father, we pray that you would bless those people. We pray, pray for our police officers, that they would be able to establish and to uphold justice and that they would work with equity for the good of the people of Rapid City and of this region. Father, we pray that you would bless them. Father, we also pray this morning for those that work in the medical field. Father, I was just talking last night with a member of that field and just seeing the loss that is coming with the virus and how heavy laden that this person was for that. And so, Father, we pray not just for this person, but for all those that are within the medical field, that they would place their hope and rest upon you. Father, we pray that you would cause this virus to stop. We pray that in Jesus' name, you would yield the effects of the coronavirus. And Lord, in the meantime, as it seems that hospitals are getting full and people are getting sick, we pray, Lord, that you would help people be well, that you would heal them. And God, in the meantime, that you would encourage our medical workers. God, we're so thankful for them, and we pray that as a church, we can wrap our arms around them as they see sickness and sometimes even death. Father, help us to love them well. God, as we turn now again back to ourselves, we pray that you would use this time, that you would bear fruit by your word, that you would use me, that I would preach your word accurately and boldly, and ultimately, Lord, that you would work in us a great fruit, that we would have the heart's that we would have the soil of our hearts tilled to where we would see a crop 30, 60, 100-fold produced out of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Every week we come up here, somebody is coming up here to preach God's Word. It doesn't matter if it's me, Joel, somebody else. We come up here week after week to preach God's Word to you. So with that said, I would like for you to turn in Philippians chapter 1, which is going to be in the New Testament of your Bible. So uh, the New Testament is going to be kind of toward the last quarter of that big book that you have. And uh, it's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, a couple more books, and then you hit Philippians. If you need help, I'm sure that there's somebody that's uh, willing to help you. And I didn't write down the page number. Does anybody have one of those Blue Pew Bibles in Oh, it's on page 980 in your Blue Pew Bible, so you're going to want to turn there and follow along as we preach. As I said, we do this every week, and as Rachel commented, we would encourage you to take one of those cards uh, that are in the seat back in front of you. We want you to maybe read those passages before, and along with that, maybe consider 
praying through those passages with uh, maybe your life group leaders, those who you are in discipleship with, uh, and just begin to try to see what we're going after as pastors. I'm so thankful that we get to preach through this book and, and that I have been given the privilege to begin this series. But before I do that, I want to address the elephant in the room. We find ourselves in a very interesting place as a church, don't we? When an event like a lead pastor leaving, even if it's on good terms like we've just experienced, when that happens to local churches like ours, it's not unusual, friends, to feel a little unstable or shaky as a body. It's not unusual for its members to be discouraged and having to prepare mentally just to do the extra of what it looks like to be in a season of a pastoral, church, in a pastoral search for a church. That's kind of hard to say. But friends, despite the season that we find ourselves in, we can rest assured of God's love for us as a body and that he has ordained, he has sovereignly orchestrated that this time, this season that we find ourselves in, it's ultimately for our good and for our growth and for his glory. And we can rejoice and rest in that. And you know what? Luckily, we aren't the only church that has ever gone through something like this. Local churches for centuries have gone through transitions just like we are experiencing and are having to ask themselves, what is this local church? What is this body about? Who are we? Fortunately, God has given us his word, and in his kindness, he has given us his word to strengthen and to encourage churches like ours, churches who are in a gap season, if you will. And as we start our series in the book of Philippians, I think we're going to find that Paul, the original planter and pastor of the church in Philippi, knows that this church needs a little encouragement. They need a little reminding of the hope that they have in Jesus. So with that said, why don't we go ahead and begin reading in Philippians chapter 1 and reading through verse 11. Please join me as I read along. Philippians 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you all, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God as my witness, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word, and praise be to him for it. As we see in this letter, Paul has great hopes, he has great desires for this little local church in Philippi. And ultimately, he wants this church in Philippi to be what we've entitled this whole series. He wants them to be a gospel-partnering church. 
And so what we're going to look at in this passage this morning is what is a gospel-partnering church? That's what I've titled this sermon, a gospel-partnering church. So what is this gospel-partnering church? Well, what we see here in the passage, and this kind of serves as the main idea, if you will, for this passage. A gospel-partnering church is evidenced by three different things. We're going to walk through those three different things. The first is gospel grace, and we're going to find that in verses 1 through 2. And the second thing is going to be gospel affection, which we'll see in verses 3 through 8. And then finally, a gospel-partnering church is evidenced by gospel prayer, which we find in verses 9 through 11. If you didn't catch all those, that's okay. I'm going to make sure I say them again. But what we're going to look at first is a gospel-partnering church is evidenced first by gospel grace, which we find in verses 1 and 2. I might be biased just because I get to preach this text and because maybe I'm caught in the moment of getting to do this. But this introduction and these first set of verses that we just read might literally be the best ones that Paul writes in all of his letters. There is a particular care and a particular kind of love that is seen from the very outset that Paul has for this church in Philippi. I mean, if you think about it, if you read, for example, the letter to the Corinthians or the letter letter to the Galatians, Paul's tone in those letters compared to this one that we find in Philippians is night and day different. This one is full of love and care that he has for this church. And as you see on the screen above me, he is desiring and he wants them to be partners in the gospel. And he wants to continue to nurture that partnership. Some have said that this letter in many ways is like a support letter from a missionary. So I think it might be important to cover some basics about this church that Paul is writing to. More than likely, Paul is writing this letter on a beach somewhere. I'm just kidding, he's not. He's writing this while he's under house arrest, under Roman house arrest. And he's writing this before he would eventually die for proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior and the Lord of all. So the looming fear that Paul, the original planter, the pastor of this local church in Philippi, the fact that he would die, the fact that that was looming over, his, over these people's head would have weighed so heavily on the hearts of these brothers and sisters. As we read earlier, this church was founded by Paul. It had uh, notable members like Lydia, the seller of fine purple uh, linen or cloth, uh, as we see in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it was also established by a jailer um, that let Paul and Silas go and after Paul and Silas sang and Uh, They were let go and presented the gospel to that jailer. It also, as we'll see in later weeks, there were people that got sent to this church in Philippi that were extremely dear to Paul. And they went there to serve the body of believers there because Paul loved them so much. This region in Philippi would have been heavily influenced by Roman culture, and so it was very ethnically and culturally diverse. And so there was a lot of different things coming at this little local church in Philippi. So if we just pause and and thought about it for a moment, and we tried to place ourselves in Paul's shoes, we can see why Paul would want to write the words that he's writing to them. He would want to write encouragement to them. They're facing a lot of different things. Their church founder is getting ready to die, more than likely. And he's getting ready to die for the faith that they're holding on to, which, if you think about it, maybe they're going to die as well. There's pressure from the Roman government for worshiping Jesus. And they're at a crossroads if they should or can progress in the growth of the gospel because it will ultimately be costly for them to do that. So what does Paul say to a church that finds themselves 
in a transition and with all the pressures and weight of the world on their shoulders. What does he begin to say to to them? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From the very beginning, Paul wants all of the believers to know that there is grace to be found and peace to be had from the relationship that they have with God the Father and Jesus the Son because of the gospel. As Paul and Timothy address every single one in this particular church, this is what, the for, this is, what is on the forefront of their mind, that they would be reminded of the grace and peace that is found in the gospel and the gospel alone. So I think the question that we need to ask is, well, what is this good news? What is the gospel that gives me grace and peace in the midst of uncertain circumstances? Well, I'm glad you asked. This is my favorite thing I get to do every week, is to preach this very good news. It's the reality that God the Father loved them, these people in Philippi, and us this morning so much that he would send his son Jesus to be the one that could live the sinless life that they could not live and to die a death on a Roman cross for the sins that they ultimately deserved, to pay the penalty that they deserved. It would have not mattered if you would have come from a Roman background with all the perversity and immorality, or if you were a devout Jew following closely all of the Lord's commandments. This gospel, this good news was for you, that Christ died for you. And we know as well that Christ did not just die, that he was raised up again, And that he now sits at the right hand of the Father with all authority, all power, and will one day come back again. This is why, my friends, they were able to have grace and peace in such a transition. And you could come to the Father knowing that he would forgive you for anything. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you've come from. He will forgive you. That is grace. Being given mercy where penalty, where death should have been, that is grace. And the peace that they describe here is the peace of knowing that because they are in the right standing with God the Father, they never have to wonder if God the Father loves them or if he's just going to snap his fingers and strike them down. That's not the kind of God he is. He has shown them that they can have grace and peace in the midst of uncertain circumstances. And God has shown this through Christ the Son. This is the gospel. This is the good news that he is assuring them of at the beginning of this letter. And this grace and peace, it's offered to all as I just offered it to all. But Paul and Timothy particularly want every person in this little local church of First Philippi to know it. The one, he wants the ones who have placed their entire faith and trust in the reality that I just talked about a moment ago. He is addressing the ones that are turning away from their former lives of sin in the context of Philippi. And he's not just writing to a particular city. I know it, it looks like that. It's to all the Philippians, but it's not that. He's, he's writing to a specific set of people. But how do we know this? Well, as we can see in the address here, the letter is addressed to the saints of Christ Jesus in Philippi, also known as the members of the church of Philippi. Friends, if you're a member here, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a saint That's a good news. It's not just reserved for uh, particularly venerated people. It's for you. You are a saint in Christ Jesus. And he's also writing to the overseers, or what we like to call the elders. So if you took out your bulletin and saw the six faces aside, aside from Joel and I's face, those are elders, overseers. Those words are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And he's also writing to the deacons. 
Everyone in this church in Philippi is covered in this initial introduction. And I know I realize that at face value, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, it it doesn't seem like much. But I think Paul wants the readers of this letter to understand that before anything else, you have to get this gospel grace and peace thing right. Otherwise, the church is going to be in complete shambles. It's like putting the cart before the horses. It's just not going to work. There's so much gospel exhortation that we're going to find in this letter. And truthfully, as I've read through it time and time again, I fall short in a lot of it. And I hopefully think that you guys might fall short in it as well. Maybe you guys are just really awesome. But regardless, there's so much gospel exhortation. But without gospel understanding, we are never going to be able to grasp gospel exhortation. Without knowing the gospel grace that is found in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, all of those instructions, they're just going to be to-do lists, not fountains of joy. Friends, gospel partnership is evidenced first by knowing that we have been partnered or saved by God in his grace and letting that grace overflow into our lives. So, with my brothers and sisters here in this local church of South Canyon Baptist Church, I pray that this would be the tenor, that this would be the mood, this would be the defining quality and characteristic of this local church, one that is filled with gospel grace and gospel peace, one that stands on gospel grace. Friends, it seems like much of the Christian landscape right now is not currently described as gracious or peaceful. And I think that comes ultimately from not delighting or resting in the reality of the grace that is found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, may that not be so of us. May we be a church that rests in the grace of Jesus Christ. And it's because of that grace that we find in Jesus Christ that we find the other defining characteristics or evidence that we see in gospel partnering churches, which is found in verses 3 through 8, which is gospel affection. Gospel affection. In verses 3 through 8, we certainly find some of the most tender and sweet words that Paul has ever penned. And in these three, in verse 3, he ends up thanking God for them. In verse 4, he tells them that it is his joy to bring them in prayer before God. In verse 5, he talks about their partnership in the gospel. In verse 6, he tells them of the hope that he has that God will complete the work that he began in them. Verse 7 Paul says that he holds them in his heart because they partake in the grace of God in all of Paul's circumstances. And in verse 8, we read that he yearns with the affection of Jesus. That's like saying, I love you so much and I'm striving to love you just as much as Jesus, even though he can't do it. But he's trying to say, I love you that much intestinally. I love you so much. We've probably all felt that way, right? We've probably all had that time where we feel that deep love for someone within our intestines. We just feel it in our heart. It makes our stomach sick, right? We're, we love them so much. This little section here in verses 3 through 8, it puts all of our love letters. It puts all of our text messages. It puts all of those notes that we pass in class to that significant other to shame. This is the sweetest thing that we see Paul writing to this church. He loves them so, so much. I think we can see here the natural progression in Paul's thought process. Let me just kind of walk through that. Because gospel partnership is first seen by gospel grace, then naturally gospel grace 
creates a gospel affection for others because of gospel grace. As Paul serves as an example for this church, he is wanting them to see that the great affection that he has for the brothers and sisters in this church, he wants them to see that that affection is a really, really good thing and that it's part and parcel with being a Christian. This idea of gospel affection, gospel love toward the brothers and sisters within a local church, this isn't just limited to Paul. And this isn't a quality just for Paul. This isn't for the, you know, the really soft people in the congregation. This is for everyone. This is for the manliest of men and the kindest of women. Everyone should have this kind of gospel affection. And so I think as we look in this section, we find two big reasons why we ought to have affection for one another within this local church and why Paul has affection for the church in Philippi. And the first thing that we see is God's promise to finish his work in believers. God's promise to finish his work in believers' lives. At some point or another, there was probably a time in your life that someone looked at you and said, yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure what God is doing in their life. And you know what? They still loved you. They still pressed in. They still discipled you. And while they didn't know what would happen in your lives, they pressed on to help us grow and walk in Jesus. For Paul, this statement in verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ, it's just not some arbitrary hope that he has that he just kind of throws out there in the air. It's, it's not that at all. Paul was confident. He was confident that God, not the Philippians, not even Paul himself, but that God and God alone would bring to completion, would bring to the finish the work that he had begun in them with their salvation. He would bring them to the purposed end for what he saved them for. He places that hope in God's hands. I want you guys to think about it. Whenever he writes this statement, I want you to think about the church again that he's writing to. Think about it a minute here with me. How likely in first century Rome, where they're persecuting churches, would we have thought that a church that was started up by a guy who used to persecute the church and a woman who sold some nice cloth and a jailer who probably lost his job for letting prisoners walk free, how likely would we have thought if we said, hey, that's your church planting team, this is your core group of people, how likely would we have thought that, yeah, this church is totally going to exist through all the calamity that it's getting ready to go through? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's unlikely, right? And yet, here they are. They're pressing on in the faith. And Paul is exhorting them and saying, the reason that you're able to press on in the faith is because God will complete that work. Not you, not me, God alone. Friends, the reason that we can rest assured in knowing that God will complete the work that he began in others in this body is because Jesus prayed for this very thing right before he was crucified. He prayed for future believers when he prayed in John 17. He says this in John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, talking about future believers, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Friends, do you see this? Because of the love that God the Father has for God the Son, Jesus can pray confidently and boldly, Father, I pray that you would hold, that you would keep those who will come to me because I want them to see my glory and I want them to see 
my face. And friends, we know that this prayer will be answered and it has been answered in the saints that have gone before us because Jesus also prayed that the Father would glorify him after his work on the cross. And we know that the Father accomplished this. We know that because there is an empty grave declaring that yes, I love you, yes, I will have a hold on you, and yes, I will complete the work that I began in you from day one. Friends, what we call this as Bible-believing churches, we call this the perseverance or the preservation of the saints. And friends, this ought to give us great comfort as we find ourselves in uncertain times that no matter what, the Lord will keep his promise to finish the work that he began in those who have placed his faith in him. The second reason that we ought to have gospel affection for one another is is this, God's care for all within the church. God cares about everyone within the church. When Paul goes on to expound why he can be so hopeful in verse 7 by saying, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you all in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel. He is saying that within this church of Philippi, that all those people, they're not just the aim of his affections, they're also whom God has shown grace to. And because God has shown grace to all within this local church, therefore he gets to have affection for them. Because God loves them, Paul gets to love them. Because God loves you, I get to love you. Because God loves us, we ought to love one another. Friends, this is a sweet thing. It's a sweet truth. And whether Paul was walking as a free man or as a slave or a bondservant or as a prisoner in Roman chains, Paul cared for all that God showed his grace to. And therefore, Paul showed love and affection to them. To show you all that my seminary education has worked and that uh, those dollars have been put to good use here, in, in the Greek here in verse 7, when Paul uses the word all, which is pantone in this particular verse, whenever he uses that in the Greek, that roughly translates in English to the word all. <laughs> what this means is that every single person, all of them, mattered to Paul. All of them. It didn't matter who they had been where they had come from or what high school they went to, Paul loved them because God had shown them grace. Members of South Canyon Baptist Church, I wonder if that's true for us as well. Do we have a great affection for those that God has saved within this church? This affection that Paul has for others, it's not just limited to Paul. It's an exhortation to us. So I want to address a few people. Let's start over here. For my friends who sit over here on this side of the, of the aisle, I'm taking right here, this chunk right here. For all of you who sit on this side of the aisle, do you make an effort to, sh- to show love and to serve those on this side of the aisle and up in the balcony? Do you make an effort to do that? Do you strive to do that? You're not off the hook. For all my friends over here, do you see people over here? Do you make an effort to go talk to them Or do we just rush into our church and find our usual seat? Or do you look for that person that might be alone sitting by themselves and invite them to sit next to you? And to my friends in the balcony, I don't even know what to do with you. I'm just kidding. Do you guys just run out the door after the service has ended? 
Or do you make an effort to show affection by coming down here and talking to us lowly people? Friends, we have such a great opportunity to show affection and gospel love to one another. And I pray that the reputation of South Canyon Baptist Church would be that. That we show love and gospel partnership to one another. That we have gospel affection. Friend, I would make it a challenge to you for yourself this month that you will have somebody in your home that you do not know well from this church. Have them over for a meal. Have them over for dessert. Take them out to coffee. Try to do that this month. And tell me about it. I'd love to hear how that went for you. For it is indeed in this kind of affection that we show the partnership that we have in the gospel by the way that we show gospel affection to one another. The other way, and the last way that we see gospel partnership evidence is through gospel prayer, and we find this in verses 9 through 11. As Paul concludes this section of verses that we're studying this morning, we find that in light of the partnership that he has in the gospel with this church, that it is manifested in gospel grace and gospel affection. But now he goes on their behalf in gospel prayer. And much like the rest of the verses here, it is a sweet and loving prayer. It's a prayer in verse 9 that they would abound more in love to one another and that their love would be wise in knowing how to best dispense and to give away that love as they seek to show love and affection to one another. It's a prayer in verse 10 that in this wise love they would be able to know and be able to be directed toward what is excellent or superior or worthy of their love so that they would not waste time on things that are trivial and loving things that are not of God, of this gospel grace. It's a prayer in verse 11 that desires for them to grow in the spiritual fruit of righteousness. He wants them to grow in Christ. He wants them to look like Christ. And he can say that because ultimately Christ is the one who makes us look like Christ. And it's a gift of Jesus. He prays that for them, that Christ would make good on this gift that he gives them so that God might ultimately be glorified in their lives. Friends, this is the kind of prayer that would have helped the church in Philippi in their trying season, and it will help us, South Canaan Baptist Church, to recenter and rebalance what our priorities are in this season. It will help us understand how we can pray for one another in this season of our church. But it's not just limited to the church, right? Parents, let this prayer that Paul prays be the rubric, be the prayer that you pray for your children as you watch them grow. School of Mind students, whenever it seems like the weight of the world with all the homework and all the tests and, and you're trying to figure out how to, you know, be a good friend or maybe be a, a good boyfriend or girlfriend and all those things are coming out the crosshairs of your life, whenever you have those moments in your life, pray this prayer for yourself. Whenever you don't know what to pray, pray this scripture, pray this prayer. I think Paul gives this prayer and he gives these readers in this letter, including us, he prays these things so that we can also pray for the same things. And ultimately he writes this because he wants those within this local church of Philippi to pray the same thing for one another. So friends, we ought to as well. The yous in this prayer, as, he, as you see in verses 9 through 11, so that you may approve what is excellent, it's not a you, it's a y'all. He's praying for everyone, and that should be our prayer for us as a church as well. 
So brothers and sisters, the greatest and most attainable way that we can show our gospel partnership to one another through gospel grace and gospel affection together in this season, the best way that we could do that is by praying gospel prayers like we see here in verses 9 through 11. Praying the very words of Scripture for one another. I had Misty print off about 100 of these lists. And what this is is nothing complex, it's nothing profound, but it's all of the members within this local church. Friends, I would encourage you, especially if you're a member of this local church, outside the foyer, on the cabinets, out there, there are these lists. And I would challenge you, friends, pray the prayers that you find in verses 9 through 11 for five people on that list every single day. Pray for them by name. Pray that their love would abound and that your love for them would abound. Pray that they would devote their lives and their love to Jesus and that you would walk alongside of them in that. Pray that together, that all of us, that we would become more like Jesus as we walk in this life together. Friends, I pray and we hope that our gospel partnership and our gospel affection for one another here at South Canyon Baptist Church would be evidence, would be seen in the ways that we pray for one another, for fervent and gracious and loving gospel prayer. The late missionary John Payton had a great father. And if you have a, a chance, there's a great autobiography by John Payton on his life. And one of the things that he details is just his sweet relationship with his father. And his father, as you can see in the pages, is known for great gospel prayer. And there's this instance in the book whenever John is reflecting on his father taking him to divinity school. It was a 40-mile walk from their house. And so John's father accompanies him for the first six miles. And and he's getting ready to drop off his son. So maybe some of you parents, this would be like dropping off your child at college. But what I'm wanting to see, what I'm wanting to show you here is may we be a people that pray like John Payton's father. I want to read just this account from John Payton whenever he's reflecting about his father in this time that he was dropping him off at Divinity School. John writes, My dear father walked with me the first six miles of the way. His counsels and tears and heavenly conversation on that parting journey are fresh in my heart as if it had been but yesterday. And tears are on my cheeks as freely now as then, whenever memory steals me away to the scene. For the last half mile or so, we walked together in almost unbroken silence. My father, as often was his custom, carrying hat in hand while his long flowing yellow hair, then yellow but in later years white as snow, streamed like a girl's down his shoulders. His lips kept moving in silent prayers for me, and his tears fell fast when our eyes met each other in looks for which all speech was vain. We halted on reaching the appointed parting place. He grasped my hand firmly for a minute in silence, and then solemnly and affectionately said, God bless you, my son. Your father's God prosper you and keep you from all evil. Unable to say more, his lips kept moving in silent prayer. In tears we embraced and parted. I ran off as fast as I could, and when I about turned a corner in the road where he would lose sight of me, I looked back and saw him still standing with his head uncovered where I had left him, gazing after me. Waving my hat in adieu, I rounded the corner and out of sight an instant. But my heart was too full and sore to carry me further, so I darted into the side of the road and wept for a time. 
Then rising up cautiously, I climbed the dike to see if he yet stood where I had left him. And just at that moment, I caught a glimpse of him climbing the dike and looking out for me. He did not see me. And after he gazed eagerly in my direction for a while, he got down, set his face toward home, and began to return, his head still uncovered, and his heart, I felt sure, still rising in prayers for me. Friends, may we be a church that can rest assured in knowing that we pray silent and fervent prayers for one another. May we be a church that shows our gospel partnership in gospel grace, gospel affection, and gospel prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would make us a church that is a gospel partnering church, that we would show great grace and affection and prayer to one another. Lord, we realize that we can't do this in our own might and our own effort, so we ask by your Holy Spirit that you would do this for us, that you would strengthen us in the gospel, that we would be reminded of the grace and peace that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. And from that grace, that it would overflow into love and affection for one another. And ultimately, Lord, that our love and affection would be evidenced by the way that we pray for one another. God, we pray, just as we sang earlier, that you would continue to do great things in this body, and that you would do that because of the truth found in the gospel. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.